Max Hall and Melbourne Football Club, you're listening to the Coaches Panel. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club. Trent Cochin from the Richmond Footy Club. Scott Penderbury from the Collingwood Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Patrick Cooch from the Carlton Footy Club. It's Rory Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows. This is Tom Mitchell. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Last year, Josh Dunkley was number one in my 50 most relevant. A premium bid forward that had shown at his former team when he moves into the midfield, he could be the number one scorer in the game. But 2023 didn't eventuate for us like that. Will it be any different in 2024? We will unpack that on today's episode of the 50 Most Relevant. Hey, it's MJ from the Coaches Panel. I hope you're well. Josh Dunkley is a fascinating player to have a conversation about and the nuances that impact not just only his, but ultimately our fantasy football success in 2024. Joining me on this episode, a guy that you loved hearing his reflections and analysis on Luke Davies Uniac. So we had to invite him back yet again. Vam, nice to see you, Josh Dunkley. Wow, this could be a real interesting selection conversation this year. Thanks for the invite back, MJ. Appreciate it. Enjoyed my last conversation. Look forward to getting into it again with uh, with with Josh Dunkley. And, and like you said, I didn't quite re- I didn't remember that he was number one on the 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 top fifty uh, most relevant last year. And and look, it's, it's no surprise, is it? Uh, I, I think looking at what he had done last or the prior year at the Western Bulldogs. Averaged just about 110. He teased us under Bevo for so many years with his role being shifted forward, back, and we finally were like, here we go. He's moving to a team where he's going to get all the CBAs he wants. He's going to get that inside role full-time. Anything is possible. And like you alluded to, it didn't quite turn out as we uh, as we thought it would, and we'll obviously unpack that uh, unpack that today. Let's look through this 2023 season with a little more depth, an average of 113.8 for us in Supercoach. So really quite strong in that format means he is priced just shy of 650,000. He gave us 15 tons in this format with a top score of 153. It's around about 50 points skinny of what his career high is. He is a part of the 200 club. He's given us a 202 before in that format. While in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team, a seasonal average of 103.5 consisted of 12 tons. A nice top score through there, a 172. So we've got some ceiling now to be able to align to what he did at this Brisbane side. And just a few points short of his career high, 189. He's under 950,000, but only by a few thousand in every single one of those formats. Van, we'll talk about his fantasy year in more depth in a moment and, and the expectations that were on him that were largely unmet amongst the community. But Josh Dunkley at his best, even in these new colours, has shown us he could be an unmatched scorer. We talked about some of those ceiling moments just before, but offensively, when he's in space, he's a really nice user of the ball, gets involved in the score involvements, takes marks both contested and uncontested. From a disposal perspective, he's, he's reasonably efficient. He'd probably be about average for your AFL player, but defensively is probably where he shines. Makes it so hard for his opposition to get the ball, puts them under constant pressure. And if he doesn't win that contested ball, he will be elite at the defensive work and the tackles that he does for us. He was ready eighth in the league last year for tackles and 14th for contested possessions per game. So we know this about him, Van. If there is a contest and Dunkley's anywhere near it, 
there's every good chance that not only is he going to impact it, but he's going to probably come away with a footy. Well, that's the thing, and, and you've hit the nail on the head, which is that really nice, well-rounded fantasy game, the possessions, the marks, and and certainly those very, very high tackle numbers. And and he's the sort of guy that can can get you a 120 based off 25 possessions, and you ask, how, how is that possible? You know, you have other guys that get 30 possessions and struggle to to crack a ton, and it's it's on the back of those very large sort of tackle numbers. And as you said, that, that stealing, you know, that was typified by that round eight game against Carlton, 33 possessions, 11 marks, 13 tackles for 172. There's not that many players in the comp that are able to put together a game like that. And that's why he's, he's just so interesting to us year in and year out. And you mentioned that sort of that, that patchiness through the season um, in, in, in uh, 2023. And perhaps we can, we can start there and yeah, as you said, he was such a popular player last year. For someone priced at 110, from memory, he he started the year with 50 to 60 percent ownership, and part That's part huge. of that was due to that forward status that he had, and uh, along with a few others that we were gifted last year: Rosie, Taranto, Golden Cogs. You know, uh, even last year we felt those other ones were all sort of somewhat value, but the fact that we still went to Dunks as one of the highest. Uh, owned players in the entire comp last year suggests that everyone thought that he still had upside with him, which is why yeah. he he started off with such high ownerships. And that 110 that he scored at the Western Bulldogs or averaged at the Western Bulldogs in 2022, that was with 50% CBAs. Yeah. And if I had told you going into last year that he was going to get 80% CBAs at Brisbane, spend essentially 85% time on ground, you would have probably predicted, my guess is not just yourself, many people would have predicted he'd be the number one scorer. He'd be pushing 120. So the question is, why didn't that happen? Yeah, correct. That's ultimately the big conversation people have. And yet we talk about this year that didn't quite live up to expectations, but he still managed to deliver for us in AFL fantasy, an average of 103 and 12 tonnes and five of them over 120, and not even a handful of scores sub 80, while in Supercoach, just shy of that 114 average with 15 tons, and only the two scores sub 80. In fact, in AFL Fantasy last year, he's ranked 22nd overall for total points, and he missed a couple of games. He's top 20 by average, Supercoach, 20th overall for points. Again, remember, he missed a couple of games. And yet overall, from a points perspective, he's ahead of guys like Canelio, Noah Anderson, Brad Crouch, who all played every single game that season. He's ranked 10th by averages in that format of Supercoach overall and 7th for midfielders. And so while we lament a little bit about what he did do, and there's moments where he was amazing for us there were moments where he was underwhelming for us we still look at that season in totality if you don't dive into the numbers you go okay that's okay and maybe more super coach community a little bit more happy with a 113 sort of average whereas as you alluded to the afl fantasy and dream team community we're like man 120 is the basement here right with those data trends that you rolled through there i'm curious as we head into a new year i want to unpack this season a little bit more with you in a moment and and pull some of the statistical threads that we can and 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 the narratives behind it but how much now as we move into a new year now that we've got a season of data with him at brisbane how 
highly should we be looking back at 2022, 2021 and all of the Bulldog years, do they hold any scope for you in terms of how you rate and rank Dunkley now? Or is it a new year, new club? We know what he is and we kind of fade 2022 and beyond data. Well, I think certainly we we look at those Western Bulldogs years and we, we see what the upside is, right? And we see what he can do. But indeed, he showed us that upside at, at Brisbane as well. But it's this age-old argument of, of player versus the system. And the big player last year that we had this debate about was with Tom Mitchell. And we know what, what he could do in you know, with in, in the right role. And again, most were predicting 110 as just about a lock for him. And it was only as the uh, the season drew closer, and I do remember it was actually Rids on on one of these episodes. He, he was the first that I heard, I must say, actually put the brakes on that and say, hang on a sec, Tom Mitchell was moving to a team where the system is not conducive to to high scores. And it was only once sort of we saw the preseason game and some of the quotes were coming out of the pie saying, look, he's not going to be used in the same way that people started going, all right, maybe we're maybe our expectations are a little high. And, and again, I, I mentioned him because I wonder if there's a similar sort of thing with Josh Dunkley. Hmm. So in answer to your question, I would place a lot more emphasis on what we saw at Brisbane last year versus the prior years, the Western ball. This is the coach he's playing for. This is the team he's in. This is the system he's in. But even in that 2023 season, again, a very sort of up and down years in terms of his scores. And we can we can look at some of the splits. Those first six rounds, he was averaging 93. We were very mm. underwhelmed with, with those first six rounds. But after that, I don't know what exactly happened, but some sort of flick got switched. And for the next 10 rounds, not including the, the injured game that he played against uh, Richmond, where he only played half the game, the next 10 rounds, apart from that game, he averaged 124. Yeah, and the th- the key thing that I'm looking at when I'm looking at his numbers there is that his tackle numbers went through the roof, and you alluded to his elite sort of defensive pressure earlier, and I, I he really does build those huge scores off the back of these very very high tackle numbers. Yes, and I have previously wondered, and I remember uh, tweeting last year about. I mean, it's 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 a relatively common sort of uh, concept in terms of we wonder do tackle numbers go up when the weather changes, basically? Does the game slow down? Do tackle numbers go up? And you often see these big inside mids, you know, halfway through the year and onwards. And it's almost like, again, something changes and their their averages often can really skyrocket. And you see that with, you know, I, I remember Took and Steel Miller a couple of years ago when they both averaged 120. It was all off the back of a huge uh, second half of the season when their tackle numbers were were enormous, and you saw a similar thing with with Dunkley here, at least over that ten game stretch, where he averaged eight, you know, eight and a half tackles a game, whereas in those first six games he was only averaging five tackles. So I, it, it's hard to know it really in terms of like what was it about that twenty twenty three season with Dunkley? Was it him sort of obviously he's he's just joined a new team, right? It's going to take time for him to to get used to the system, to get used to his teammates, to find his feet. So maybe it was that. Maybe I've just alluded to, like, is his game more suited to when the weather changes and perhaps the game slows down a little bit? Mm. Perhaps, I don't know. Certainly his tackle numbers um, you know, went up over that time. Was that a change in role? I can't quite put my finger on that. And so, again, trying to work out what it is about um, you know, moving to Brisbane that resulted in that 
that very up and down scoring. And like you said, like it, we shouldn't be too disappointed. He did mm. end up averaging 102, but it's more just relative to what we expected from him. That's that big sort of that big drop. But even again in this uh, in this Brisbane team, he showed that over a huge chunk of the season he can go at a huge clip. And the question is, can like which Dunkley are we going to get next year? Is is it someone that can potentially average? 110, 115, maybe even 120. Again, we know he can put up those numbers. And if he can put up those numbers or he does put up those numbers, what he's priced at now makes him a huge bargain. There's narrative that needs to be unfolded through some of those things you've just mentioned. That first four games of the year, he goes at 92.75 in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team and 104.25 in Supercoach. Then that middle stretch of the year that you mentioned too, between round five to 15, 117.8 in AFL Fantasy, 130 in Supercoach. Then does a calf, bit of a strain, misses a couple of weeks and comes back for the final six weeks of the year, going at 95.1 in AFL Fantasy and a 98.6 in Supercoach. But as you said, narrative in all of these has to be unpacked. Like that last six there's games where he tags Rory Laird and Caleb Sarong in these first four matches. How much is learning a new system all about? In that middle 10 games that you've unpacked, how much of that is weather-related and just the slowing of the AFL game? How much of that is comfortable in the game style and the midfield gelling? Because it wasn't just Dunkley that was new to this midfield unit. They had this young gun in Will Ashcroft coming in. So there's so much nuance that needs to come in. I know there's a lot that we don't know about that. But Van, I know you've been really successful. Um, AFL Fantasy is certainly the format you play the most. I know you're familiar with the others. But generally speaking, we can look at data a lot and numbers, and that's what a lot of January and February is, is observing data and unpacking what that means. Can you talk to me about both the positive and the negative of if we don't understand the data we're looking at and we don't understand the football side of it, how damaging is it to just see a number trend and go A plus B equals C, but it's really not the true narrative. Can you talk me through how easy that is to fall into that trap and how do we avoid falling into that? Because I feel like that's really easy to do in a preseason if we're not careful. No, I completely agree with you. And and, and heck, I, I've just done the same thing when I've just said, look, his, his tackle numbers went up and maybe that was due to the weather changing. And yeah. look, in reality, it, it's probably not that simple. And it's very easy to um, you know, pick up on a trend and attribute it to something that is perhaps even completely irrelevant, right? Um, and so you've always got this debate about, look, correlation versus causation. And Look, unfortunately, in AFL, unlike perhaps some other sports, we just don't, as a you know, a, as a, a fan of the game, we just don't have access to a lot of the advanced data that perhaps what we might like. And there's some reasons for that, which is it's a shame, but it is what it is. Now, I guess one thing we can do to try and ensure that we are not buying into what potentially is a, a false narrative is try and look at the data or unpack whatever data we have. So I guess just on that, in preparation for this episode, I got in touch with Jaden Popowski that many people may be familiar with on Twitter. He's obviously a data analyst and has a keen interest in AFL fantasy. And I asked him the question of what was it about Dunkley scoring that changed from 2022 to 2023? Again, remember at in 2022 at the Western Bulldogs, he got... 50% CBAs and went at 110 and 2023 he had 
all the, the CBAs, all the stoppages that he would want, had high time on ground, and yet, again, didn't quite live up to to our expectations. And and Jaden, I must give him a big shout out because at very short notice was was good enough to to help me out with this data. But what he put to me was that essentially the scoring from stoppages essentially didn't change between 2022 and 2023 for Dunkley. In 2022, he averaged 49 points per game from stoppages. And in 2023, he averaged 52 points per game from stoppages. So very, very similar. Mm. The big drop in scoring for Dunkley came from points in transition play. And so in 2022, he was averaging about 62 points per game from transition play. And in 2023, that dropped 10 points per game to 51. So that was a, a big drop. And the most pronounced drop in terms of the the specific subset of scoring within transition was, was from kick-ins. And so we looked at the, the data that Jaden, again, was good enough to, to share with me about Brisbane scoring in, in transition. And the thing that is very, very impressive about Brisbane, and I might add very annoying from a fantasy perspective, mm. if you're a Dunkley owner, is that they really, well, it's it's just how even they are across the board in terms of who they're very happy to have the ball in their hands in, in transition. So you have a heap of guys. You've got Harris Andrews, who actually leads their, their transition scoring, believe it or not. Um, You've got Daniel Rich, you've got Kitty Coleman, you've got McKenna, Lester scores a bit there, Zorko, McCluggage, Neil, obviously Ashcroft, Bailey, Wilmot. So they have a whole bunch of guys that they actually share the ball with a lot. They don't really just funnel the ball through one or two different players. Jaden showed us a graph of uh, a similar sort of uh, data set looking at North Melbourne. And it's basically, you know, Zebel, Sheasel, and, you know, and again, funneling the ball through just a select few players. Where at Brisbane, they're very happy to have the ball in a lot of people's hands. They've got a lot of very, very good users. And so perhaps, um, you know, that's a reason why Dunkley's uh, points in transition is much, much less than what it was at the Western Bulldogs. The question is, again, was that just circumstance? Was that role? Is that always going to be the case? That's the hard part. And if I'm being honest with you, I don't have an answer there. Again, your question about, your question whether Brisbane play a certain style or a certain symptoms, a certain um, a certain way of playing such that maybe it's not possible to have a 110, 115 score, um, score or average player Um playing for them. You look at all the, I mean, it is a copycat league and you look at all the, um, the, the prelim finalists um, last year, Pies, Carlton, GWS, Brisbane. Pies had Dacos obviously averaging 108. Titch uh, or Tom Mitchell was at 92. Yeah. Next best. Carlton, Doherty was at 102. Next best was Walsh at 98. GWS, they had a couple of good scorers. They had Tom Green at 108 and then Cogs at 102. And then again, Brisbane, Dunkley at 102. And the next best was Neil at 94. Hmm. So again, these are, again, the four teams that were at the pointy end, none of them were really having these like three, you know, two, three, four midfielders that were all averaging 105 plus or anything like that. So it makes you wonder again, is this a, is this a style thing that's going to be suppressing the scoring somewhat? So again, that that's what I, I, I do sort of question or do wonder. 
Yeah, it's an interesting one. Again, those are AFL fantasy stats. Super coach, um, you, you can go through and look at the top end. You're seeing the Melbourne players. You're seeing some Port Adelaide. You're seeing some Crows. So some of that data um, unpacking that VAM is giving you there, there are some correlations for us to be able to pull across those formats as well. Even if the averages aren't the same and the volume of, you know, 110, you know, 110, what's that? That'd be amazing. 110 to 105 to 120. They're a little different. The, the illustration and the point that's being unpacked there is helpful for us. Um, I want to touch opening round and the compounding that comes with Brisbane playing and then missing a game in a moment. But this is more opinion than I'm asking you, but Will Ashcroft is out of this side for at least up until the bye, we would suspect, uh, of this year. We unpacked it just the other day with uh, DR as we did an episode on Lockie Neal. It was the episode ahead of this one. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and check that out. But we talked about the Ashcroft effect and what this might happen around the side, not just for Neil, but ultimately for Dunkley too, because in the six games that Dunkley played without uh, Will Ashcroft, he went at 91 in AFL Fantasy and he goes at 93.7 in Supercoach. While the 16 games they play together, 108.3 in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team and a 121.4 in Supercoach. So pretty substantial jump through there. It's never as simple and easy as, because again, some of those games he played a tag role. So it's never as simple as player in, player out. But in your hypothetical mind, um, what do you see the impact of Ashcroft out being? And could we see a pathway to a increase or a restriction to the scoring for Josh Dunkley in 2024? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, again, I asked Jaden that exact question, actually, just to see if there was any change in, in Dunkley's score and in particular at certain you know, stoppages versus transition. And again, he, he was good enough to come back with me with the data on that question. And it showed that Dunkley was essentially unchanged um, mm-hmm. with Ashcroft in versus out in terms of how and you know, how Where many he's points scoring. he scored. Yeah. Really. yeah, and the, the, the two players that – there were a few players that did benefit with Ashcroft out at the stoppage – from memory, it was Zach Bailey and Cam Rayner. And then during transition, the main players that really benefited were were Hugh McCluggage. He got a little bit of a boost and, and Kitty Coleman got a got a big boost as well. Again, this is just correlation. I, I can't give you an exact answer in terms of what were the exact reasons for that. But in answer to your question about Dunkley, it didn't really change too much. So I think that carries over to this year. I think if we're going to ask... Um, you know, which player do I think is going to benefit the most with Ashcroft out? I actually think it's probably going to be someone like Hugh McCluggage. And so, but I don't think, uh, I don't think Dunkley's going to change too much. Yeah, I think that's fair enough too. Opening rounds means we get a look and see at a handful of clubs before the lockout kicks off. Great news for us in the fantasy community because we get to see a game of AFL that actually counts and teams aren't just playing conservative football, trying to ease people through a preseason and experiment. We'll get to see roles, styles, structure, heat of play. Plenty of great benefits come to us in the fantasy community for that. One of the negatives, well, 
all the teams that play opening round, they've got to have at least one week off before round six, which means we've basically spent a month of football in that six-week chunk where we're doing a best 18. Brisbane, as a result, are one of the teams that will miss one of those games. And arguably, you could say they've got the worst one. They miss round two. So we get one game that counts in round one. We get a little bit of a price uh, inflation on the opening round score. But for reality speaking, you get one of the first two games that count of your Brisbane and also your Carlton players that count. Popular narrative, Van, is don't start premium guys that are having a buy round. And certainly maybe not one that has that. I'll get the flip side of this question in a moment, but what's your initial take to a premium like a Dunkley? Is it just an immediate fade because of that buy or are there some other nuances that makes you say no to him? And then we'll get the flip side of how you do start him in a moment. Yeah, look, uh, to put it plainly, I, I, I struggle to come up with an argument as to how you could justify starting Um Josh Dunkley uh, with that round two buy. I think there are a couple of other players that share that buy um, that are, uh, you know, popular at the moment. Kitty Coleman being one, Sam Walsh being another one. They're a little bit different in terms of like, you you think they've got quite a good amount of upside in them. Um, And so you could make the argument that, you know, do you eat that buy? And then if you think Sam Walsh is like a guaranteed top eight mid, you've saved yourself a trade. Maybe you save yourself a little bit of money getting him early. Um, Look, you could make the same arguments with Dunkley. So I guess it ultimately comes down to how bullish you are. But um, again, I would say the same about Sam Walsh, to be honest with you, which is I I don't think that it, I, I can't really see what they will realistically average that justifies picking them up and, and missing a game you know, a week after the season starts. I, I So in terms of what your path is to, to get him, I, yeah. I think there's a couple of things. I think one, again, I'm not sure what I'll necessarily see out of Brisbane at this stage. I, I can't really predict what I might see out of Brisbane that might change my opinion on what Dunkley might do next year. Like even if he comes out and does extremely well in round zero, like we're always going to be influenced by that though. You know, I'm not sure how good a matchup Carlton is um, in round zero anyway. I mentioned before, is he a player that maybe you want to you wanna target in the middle of the season or maybe a little bit, you know, maybe a little bit before that as, again, the tackle numbers start to go up. But look, if you did really like Dunkley's prospects this year, I think the reality is like just about every week there's going to be bullets. And I think the your path to getting him is saying, look, what are the, you know, let's see how my team goes in round two. And if there are some bullets that I cop that I haven't foreseen, maybe he is someone that I would target then. I wouldn't necessarily have a plan because I think plans are great again until you get those unforeseen bullets. But I think you could put him on perhaps a short list of guys that you might want to bring in your team if you really like the look of them in round zero and round one. Um, to maybe trade in guys like maybe a Sam Walsh or a Josh Dunkley that, again, all right, I've copped some bullets. I need to do a little bit of a restructure. I need to, you know, I've got a long-term injury to one of my premiums and maybe I'll, I'll slot Josh you know, a Josh Dunkley or a Sam Walsh in then. That, that's probably how I would be playing it um, yeah. rather, than, rather than starting them. Yeah, and I think ultimately if you are really bullish on a player like Josh Dunkley, whether it be any of the early premiums, is it does have a compounding impact on the other players you select. Yeah, 
it is only best 18. So technically you only need 18 on field. Sure. But you're risking your scoring profile being impacted by the volume of cash cows that actually count on your field. So you really probably are going to struggle. If you're bullish on Dunkley, okay, that might have a compounding impact on being able to start Sam Walsh as well, or what you do with a Kitty Coleman or what it means for a Lockie Neal. Like all these things start to impact each other. I suppose the other flip side would then be you go, well, at the start of the year is where we see the greatest rookie roulette experience. And so I feel more comfortable to just get more cows on field. I don't know who would say that, but that might be that narrative pathway where you go, I've just got more options it's a fascinating one to unpack as the community gets their head around yep. these early buyers. Yeah. And I think that's the, you know, I don't think there's any right answer and certainly it doesn't seem like um, the community has yet settled on what, you know, a mainstream strategy, but my approach I think is going to be to try and have as many decent players as in um, what I mean by that is non-rookies as many decent players playing during those early rounds so that I can have the most players from which the best 18 can be chosen from. Because yeah. even early in the season, it throws up from funny scores, man. I mean, obviously last year we saw Laird score, but he, he wasn't the only one. I, I can't itemize them all for you, but it throws. So even guys that, you know, you've got in your side as like a premium or a breakout, like they can spit out a, a 50 or 60, you know, a, a really poor score early. So, my approach to those early buys, I think, is going to be to try and, you know, limit the certainly not. I don't think it's going to be a guns and rookies approach because I think mm. the problem with that is, yes, you could justify it by saying, but it's only best 18, so my rookie scores will all drop off. That's great until, again, you get some unforeseen bullets. And Correct. then next thing you know, you're having to use trades purely just to field 18. And that that's, you know, that's where you can you can drop away potentially quite quickly. So, that's why I'm 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 very hesitant to to start a Dunkley to start a Walsh for that very reason because there look there are other guys around that price point that I'm very happy starting instead. I was on the podcast not that long ago talking about one of them, yeah. and so you know they don't miss a game. Well, fingers crossed anyway. But uh, yeah, so I don't really see the need to um to to pay up for a guy that's going to be missing a game for you a week later. Yeah, and he's missing two games over the first 12 rounds uh, because that's when his second multi-buy round is. You contrast that to a bunch of other teams like an Adelaide, a St Kilda, a Hawthorne, um, a, a Western Bulldogs, a, a Port Adelaide, a, a Fremantle. These guys don't have buys mm. at all, and he's got two. Um, you mentioned that risk yeah. profile being increased. Remember round one last year, Rory Laird gives you a poo, a poo score yep. through a heat yep. and tag. Tom Stewart gets injured. That's all that risk profile that Vams is really holding for you. By the way, from round 13 onwards, when he does get back from the bite, there's a chance he might be a vice-captaincy option if you see enough things during the year, if he sits at the right price point. Because in terms of where his games are in a fixture, really favorable for you to put the VC on him because he's got ceiling about him. That Carlton matchup that's in round one, how did he go against Carlton last year, I hear you ask? 172 in <laughs> AFL Fantasy, 149 in Supercoach. So that just might put the fear in a few people when he rolls that out in 2024. But uh, in round 13, they play Friday night against the Dogs. In round 14, 
Friday night against the Saints, and then round 15, first game on Saturday against Port Adelaide. It's a it's a mixed bag of, of matchups, and we'll get proper 2024 data when we get close to that, but that could be a little, just kind of an anchor for you to keep an eye on of post by if I see enough, I, I might be heading towards a Josh Dunkley. So is the real Josh Dunkley the first four games and the last six games of 2023 where he goes a mid to low 90s in AFL fantasy and dream team where he's a low hundreds guy in super coach over those 10 games? Or is it a middle patch of the year in round five to 15 where he's pushing 130 in super coach and knocking the door down on 120 in dream team and fantasy? Because whichever of those elements you choose to hold greater truth into gives you a really good indicator of are you bullish enough to embrace the pain of the buy-in round two or are you fading anyway and wanting to see what 2024 holds? How you view those elements and watch you unfold through this preseason will give you a lot. Either way, Josh Dunkley on his day has got an unmatched ceiling in almost every single format. So even if you don't start this guy, whew, you have got to monitor his preseason, as Van has talked about, because if there's anybody that can pull out a 150-plus score on any given day, it's Josh Dunkley. Before we wrap up the episode, Van, let's talk about where he goes on draft day. Based on his seasonal averages last year, it would place him as an M1 candidate in Supercoach, but I can't see anyone picking him in the first round. But M1 based on seasonal averages, and in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team, it's got him as an M3, which is crazy. I think he's 22nd overall in that format. So um, where do you see him going on draft days? And is you seeing him as that M1 in Supercoach? Do you think it's an M2 in AFL Fantasy? Or do you see him drifting to as late as an M3, which would be huge? Yeah, I, I, personally, I'd be very happy with him as an M2 in, in AF, fantasy, uh, AF scoring. Um, look, I'm not as familiar with the Supercoach scoring system as you are, but it, it seems like on, on from what you've said that that's F1 numbers is from, from what I can tell. But in AF, again, it's but it, it's that up and down, that scoring variance is, is what's a little bit frustrating with him, which is why I think he's like a great option to wait on. He, he seemingly always gives us a great opportunity to pick him up during the year at a cheaper price. And so... Again, I personally would be happy drafting him as an M2, provided you, like, let's just say you went and got a, a Rowan Marshall in the first round or a Nick Dacos in the first round. You then went and got a big boy mid in the in the second second round, and then you back it up with a Josh Dunkley in the third round. And the thing to keep in mind with with, with draft comps as well is, look, all you got to do is make the finals. And so I think a mistake that lots of people make in their sort of their leagues is that, they try to optimize for their for their best team in round one. Don't worry about it. It's like you often only need to finish in the top four, perhaps the top six in a 10-team league, make the finals. And as long as you dominate those last few games of the season, that's all that matters. And Dunkley, again, that tends to be the time of the year that he, he scores really well and he's the sort of guy that can win you a, a grand final. Certainly is, Vam. You've been an absolute superstar uh, yet again on this episode, helping us unpack the potential pathways of how we go about approaching Josh Dunkley. It's been a pleasure to have you on the 50 Most Relevant yet again, mate. Good on you. Thanks for having me. 
if you want to go back and check out the article that goes alongside this episode of Josh Dunkley, it is available for you at coachespanel.tv alongside every single article that we've released so far this preseason. If you're loving these podcasts, do make sure you're subscribed across whichever audio channel you find your podcast from. Make sure you also leave a five-star rating and review. It's just one of those small little things that you think, ah, it doesn't really matter. It's not worth the time. No, it, it seriously makes a difference for us. So if you could take that extra 10 seconds out of your day to do that, we would greatly appreciate it. And of course, are you watching this on YouTube, a new initiative for us and a bunch of other content creators you could go and check out that are on YouTube as well. Make sure you subscribe, turn the notifications on, and you can have your say in the comments below on what you think about the take you've heard today on Josh Dunkley. And if you want to keep in touch with Vam across X, we've included his handle in the description of this episode. You can find him there as well as follow all the other coaches panel members and the coaches panel officially across X, Facebook, and Instagram. So if you're loving what you're getting from Vam this preseason, jump on in. It's all in there if you're not following him already. In 60 seconds, I've got a clue for you for who's at number 33 in the 50 most relevant. But the coaches panel exists to be able to give you content to have a conversation about players. We don't tell you what you should or shouldn't do. We love to embrace the conversation and look at the narratives on both sides of players. And we love to talk all fantasy footy formats. So if you love being able to enable that to happen, could you consider becoming part of our Patreon? For as little as $2 a month, your support makes a great difference and we'll kick a whole tier and grouping of rewards to you just for getting involved. Whether it be that breakout level right through to the premium, there is a bunch of great rewards ready for you and all the details are in the description of this episode. And if you jump in at that breakout or premium tier, one of the rewards you get is you get these audio podcasts a day early. So if you want to do that, that helps you in the preseason. We've got you covered. So who's next in the 50 most relevant? I want to change the narrative about our forwards because when people talk forwards in 2024, there are two sentiments that are commonly heard. I dislike the top end forwards. Don't want to pay up for them. Don't trust them. And then they're looking in that middle group. We spent a lot of time in the 40s of the 50 most relevant going, where is the value? Where is the upside? Where could we find these diamonds in the rough? Everybody's talking about upside and value and security of top-end premiums or the lack thereof. But tomorrow, Louis joins me on the 50 most relevant. We want to flip the conversation. Could we be approaching the forwards entirely wrong? And is there a player that is staring us in the face that enables us to minimize risk in our forward line who has got history over multiple seasons of consistent scoring and yet incredible ceiling. And in a line where we're worried about how it's going to work out, is this actually the safest and the best strategical play that we could go for? Who is this forward that actually changes the narrative of the forwards entirely and could be the secret that unlocks the way you structure up in 2024? You will find out tomorrow in the 50 most relevant.